Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. Well, listen, Happy New Year to everybody. Um, We love you so much. Everybody tuning in online, welcome home. We're so grateful that you're with us this morning. Man, it's 2021. You guys ready? You know, I know uh, 2020 has been a ride. It's been beautiful and it's been brutal. But I'm excited. You know, I'm not so much excited that the calendar shifted, but I am excited because God is a God of new seasons. I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 43, verses 19 this morning in worship. It's, it's a promise that God gave us as a church that, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Can you not see it? Do you not perceive that I'm making streams in the wilderness and rivers in the wasteland? Why? So that God would get glory and so that others can drink. And so we're going to dive into a brand new series entitled Open Up. When everything is shut down, we as a church... We as followers of Jesus, and even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to open up to all that God has for us in this new year. And it comes out of this passage that God really has been speaking to me over the last week or so. Uh, I didn't plan on this being the theme verse, but I just feel like it, it so describes where we're going. King David said, make me know the way that I should go. For to you, I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. I feel like the world is is longing for stability right now. And I feel like we as a church have an opportunity to, to show and reflect the beauty and the majesty and the grace of God as we navigate difficult times stormy waters, uneven ground, but, it, but it almost as if Peter, as he's walking on everything that's uneven, God calls him to walk on a level surface. And so, so as we dive in, we're going to look at this woman today. She is known as the woman with the issue of blood. We don't even know her name. Sometimes we can get so wrapped up in our pain and our dysfunction, we start to identify with it. And her story is found in Mark chapter 5, and it says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard, everybody say heard. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd to touch his cloak. Because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. Continues and it says that once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, I believe that we're going to touch the Lord this year in a way as a church. We're, we're almost like, I, I want it to be that picture where Jesus is like, whoa, yeah. all right. On, yeah. Like you're reaching for me like that. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came, she fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith, everybody say faith, Faith. has made you well, or has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Can I just tell you that peace and freedom is on the other side of faith? Now, the Bible describes faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that faith is the confidence in what we hope for. And being certain or having the assurance of what we do not see. 
I want to speak to you today from the subject of wide open. God, I'm, I'm wide open. Make me, deliver me, teach me, lead me. I'm wide open. Let me pray for us. Father, in Jesus' name, as we dive into your word, Lord, I pray that we would never be the same. Pray that you would open up our hearts in brand new ways. That we'd see you clearly today, Jesus. We're not here to entertain people. Lord, we're here to proclaim the truth of your word. We're living in a very real hour in need of a real God. So, Lord, help us to grab a hold of you in a fresh way. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Can we give our worship team? Thank you so much, Jay. Give our worship team a big hand. And just so you know, uh, all, if you see smoke, Dave getting smoked out back here, we're not trying to be cool. It just looks so much better for you online to have some dimension in the camera. Uh, so it's all for you online. In, in person, we don't really care about that too much. But, uh, but it's been an incredible year, hasn't it? 2020 has been a ride. Now, so many crazy things happened that if you told me in 2020 that you saw a pig fly, I'd probably pause for a minute and say, what color? What color? Where'd you see him? Because, I mean, that's just, how, that's just how absurd it was all year. There was always something new, something crazy happening over here, something going on over here. It was just one of those years. It was almost uh, like, if I, it was almost as crazy as if I told you that Donald Duck saved the city of Kuwait. Like, how many of you guys would be like, yeah, man, let's go, Donald. Like, if I told you that Donald the duck really saved the city of Kuwait, would you believe me? Well, you should believe me because in the 1960s, there was a ship that entered into the harbor. Now, Kuwait was kind of booming at the time. A lot of population, uh, a lot of people were moving to Kuwait because of the oil boom. And so population was increasing. So what they did was the government put in a desalutation plant to convert salt water into fresh drinking water so that it could really resource the city. Well, this charter, this ship comes in and it's full of 5,000 sheep. Long story short, it, it gets a hole in it somehow. It begins to sink. And they were terrified because if all of the toxin from those 5,000 sheep got into the harbor water, it would contaminate uh, the desalutation plant. It would contaminate the water for the city. And how many of you guys know it would be a, a huge disaster? And so, so they were trying to figure out what to do. They invited this Danish inventor in. Uh, his name was Carl. And they said, Carl, what are we going to do? And he's like, man, I, I got this idea that I saw on a Donald Duck cartoon a long time ago. And on the cartoon, Donald Duck and his little nephews, they, they filled Scrooge's boat that was capsizing with ping pong balls. They loaded it all up. And what happened in the cartoon? It regained buoyancy and floated back up to the top. He said, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to pump 27 million foam balls into this boat, and we're going to save the day. And so you can imagine people are like, what? And lo and behold, filled this boat up rose to the surface, saved the day, patented the, the process, and probably became very rich off of it, all because he took heed to Donald Duck. Now, now I'm, I'm not a Donald Duck hater, but I just wonder how much more should you and I, when things seem to be seeking around us, should we take heed to the promises and the ability of God and his word, which is true, which is never changing, which is alive and active, how much more should we take heed? How much? You know, I, I think as we look around, we start to realize that we live in a world that God designed where it's impossible to live without faith. It's impossible. I think we've experienced that this year when things have kind of gone a little haywire. Maybe even some of the things we've trusted in have fallen apart and we're like, whoa, I, 
and we're trying to grab a hold of something. You know, it, it's, it blows my mind how confident we are in our ability sometimes. And, and, and we're, we're very confident that when we get into our vehicles, that we're going to arrive at our destination. Like, that's faith. Every time you get into your car and you drive to a destination, there is such a confidence that you're going to get there, so much so that if you get into an accident, you're like, oh, my goodness, what happened? I can't believe, like, we crashed. What? I mean, there's thousands of cars on the road every single day, but we have such a confidence that we're going to arrive at our destination that when we don't, it messes us all up. Like, what in the world is happening? I, I remember I was at a, a youth camp, and there was this kid from a different church, and at the end of camp, we would have people come up for prayer, just like we do here. And can I just encourage you, man, our prayer team contends and prays for you all day, all throughout the week. Now, listen, at the end of service, if there's some things that that you need to pray about, or maybe somebody that could use prayer, man, let us pray with you. This year, we're going to create a culture of prayer like we never have before in our church. So please, let us, let us pray with you and for you. But, I, but this kid comes up for prayer, and God starts downloading to me. Uh, you can call it a word of knowledge. Uh, God was giving me some prophetic words for this kid. And basically, God was just kind of giving me a download of, hey, you're gonna, God's going to use you to preach the gospel. It was just so clear in my mind. And I was young in the faith. Like, I was probably saved maybe a couple of years, and God had never really used me in this way. And so at the end of my prayer for him, you know, he's, he's a sixth grader. He has red hair. He's crying, and God tells me his name is Matthew. I'm like, hey, young man, hey, what's your name? He looks up. It's Christ. Matthew. I was like, what? <laughs> Are you serious? What? Tell me that one more time. Matthew, like God told me, like I was praying for you, and God told me that was your name, and blown away that God had moved. Like, why is it that we're so confident that we're going to arrive at our destination, and when we get into an accident, we freak out? But but then it's almost like with God, we're so confident He's not going to move that when He does, we're surprised. We're like, oh my, oh my goodness, you really showed up. And I think it shows up in our time in the, the word of God, which contains the promises of God, I think it kind of shows up how we believe that God's promises are a little out of reach, even a little out of touch with where we're at. And I think it's reflected by the amount of time that we spend in the scriptures. Like if we really believe that the Bible is the word of God and, and that God's word was alive and active and that this is really God speaking to us, yet our phone has way more hours on it, than our time opening up God's word. It's such a challenge, it's such a stretch for, for some of us. We're like, oh man, you gotta fight for that time. But I, I wonder if it's because we feel like God's word and his promises are a little out of reach and a little out of touch. You know, I did some homework on the origin of touchdown. Now, notice I, I have a Raider and a 49er, so I don't get stoned on a Sunday. Because in church, this seems to be more popular than Jesus sometimes on a Sunday. I'm just saying. But, uh, but we have both the Niner and Raiders, both scoring touchdowns, which is kind of rare for the both of them, but <laughs> nevertheless, uh, I, I, when you look at the history of a touchdown, how it came into being, it's, it's kind of like Donald Duck and the ping pong balls, it's, it's pretty simple. When uh, a player would cross the end zone, they would take the ball and they would touch down. They would touch it to the ground. They said, yeah, we're going to call that a touchdown. But the awesome thing about a touchdown is whenever you would touch down, the game totally shifts. The scoreboard has changed. Everything changes about the game once you enter that end zone, once you get a touchdown. But I started to think in order to get a touchdown, you got to be wide open to receiving that ball. So it makes it just real easy for the quarterback. Sometimes it's a little narrow, like you're kind of wide open like this. 
But the more that you're open to receive the ball, it gives the quarterback a nice target just to make a beeline for this little pocket so you can grab that ball and run for your life into the end zone. It changes the game. And I'm, I'm not so much blown away by football as much as I'm blown away how far a touch can go. This woman we just read about, she had been bleeding for a long time. And because she was bleeding, she was considered unclean. We'll talk about that in a minute. And nobody wanted to touch her. Like it, it was like against the law religiously to touch this woman. So you could imagine emotionally the, the, the feelings that she's had to wrestle with psychologically of, of not being touched. Because studies have shown the power of touch is amazing, especially in infants. They said that, that the power of touch at a baby that is well-loved and embraced, it helps with brain development. For some, they said that if a baby goes with a lack of touch, it's even possible for the baby to die. They said a baby who was really embraced quite a bit is able to leave the hospital sooner because it creates a stability. And here this woman has been bleeding for 12 years. Like that, that's a long time. And according to the law, this is unheard of. Um, uh, it's, it's unacceptable to even come in close proximity with this woman because everywhere she sat, everything she touched was dirty and unclean. Like it was so bad that if you touched this woman, you would have to go home and take a shower and you, essentially, I mean, maybe pour some buckets on you or whatever the case in biblical times. But you'd have to clean up, and you would still be deemed unclean until evening. It'd be like, it'd be like touching somebody with COVID, right? Oh, no, I touched her. I got to go into quarantine. It's the same thing. And so, so even people that have COVID, you could kind of feel that, that sense of, 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 of the COVID shame, right? Like, I got COVID. It's like, yeah, you had it two weeks. You're, you're, you're good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, th- there's this sense of, I don't really want to tell you because you're not going to want to touch me. Imagine that for 12 years isolated, tired, pain. And this woman was losing a lot more than blood. She was losing relationships. Nobody wanted to touch her. Uh, she, even her relationship with God, she probably felt rejected because she wouldn't have been allowed in the temple. She was spending all her money. Like the woman was just losing everything, but it created this desperation on the inside of her. It created an urgency. Now, now, for this woman, it was an issue of blood, but I think many of us were bleeding, especially after this last year, in a lot of different ways. And what happens is if, all, if, that, if that source of bleeding, whatever that may be, you may be bleeding uh, in medicating, you may be bleeding in lust, it may be jealousy, you may be bleeding, uh, maybe it is something physical that you've been wrestling through. And when, when things aren't dealt with, what happens is we, we, start, we start to lose stuff. Things start to break down. And I think this is where God kind of becomes interesting, is when things start to go wrong. I don't know why this is, but all of a sudden it's like when we tried everything, when we've depleted all of our resources, all, all of a sudden it's like, well, God, maybe you. God starts to become a little bit more intriguing to us. And desperation, it's not a bad thing. It's just looking at something and seeing the impossibility of it. And so desperation, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, is that it can be an incubator for faith. 
Like it could be the beginning of something great because when, when desperation collides with our Savior, when we begin to hear the Scripture declare all that He is, all that He's done, faith begins to arise in our hearts and it positions us to be wide open to all of the possibilities of what Jesus can do. But I think sometimes we don't understand this because we, we want a touch down. We're like, man, I need this to change. I need this to shift. I need this to go. Like, I need the game to change. And so we're so focused on the game changing that we forget sometimes we need to touch up before we can touch down. We need to touch up before the game can actually change. And that's what this woman's story is going to talk to us about. Because there's a lot of different ways that I could go and preach this particular story of this woman. True story. There's a lot of ways, a lot of things we can talk about, but I want to talk to you today about a genuine faith. Because I, I think that the temptation is going into 2021, you know how we get, all right, it's goal time, people. Some of you type A's, you had your goals in like, you might have started writing them in November, maybe October. But, but let, me just, let me just invite you to come and lay all of that stuff at the feet of Jesus, like, what if we took January and just sought the Lord? Because I think there's some things foundationally that if we don't get, if we don't make the main thing, we're going to miss everything this year. So, so today, I'm not going to tell you how to, you know, three steps to, to, you know, get in shape. There's so much of that stuff out there. You can find that somewhere else. But, but I, I want to tell you, I want to talk to you about a foundation that can change the game. And it starts with the genuine faith. See, see, when we begin to seek God in the new year, I, I totally believe this is so important as we seek the Lord in the new year because, because of this reality. We don't know what's coming, but God does. A man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. So planning is good, but we want to make sure that we're hearing from God in our plans. Are you with me? Like so, some of you thought, man, 2020, I'm getting in shape. I'm going to the gym every day. And then they closed. Some of you guys are like, oh, I don't care, Pastor Matt, I got a Peloton. Just... Peloton made a lot of money, this, this shelter in place, my Lord. And then it's in the garage and it's still sitting there and you don't use it. So, so what I'm saying is this, I'm saying, listen, we can plan our ways, but we need to let the Lord direct our steps. But even as we're planning our ways, we want to invite Jesus into the process. And we want to make sure that the foundation is solid so that we're building on something that's real. Are you guys tracking with me? And so in this woman's life, we're just going to look at just two things. Two things that as we look at her life, we see something about genuine faith. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Number one, genuine faith is exclusive. It's exclusive faith. See, her faith wasn't in faith. Some people are like, you just got to have faith. Well, no, no, your faith needs a focus. Your faith will have a focus. Everybody in life has a faith position. It just matters who is shaping and what is shaping that faith position. Faith, she wasn't putting her faith in faith alone. She was putting her faith in Christ alone. Like, like it wasn't, hey, this doctor and this method and this procedure, oh, yeah, and then Jesus too. Wow. See, she tried all that stuff on the front end, and all that stuff led her to a posture of there's only one option for me. Wow. And so that like, wasn't her plan. And there's nothing wrong with doctors and procedures and methods. I love all that stuff, but we're never supposed to put our hope there. Our hope is to be exclusive. In other words, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, that she did not view Jesus as one of many options. She saw Jesus as her only hope. 
You see, here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen. I, I know that some of us, we've lost some things in 2020. Some of us have lost heart. Some of us have lost things. Like there's uncertainty still in the air. Like we're not out of this thing. And, and I think what happens is when we start to find ourselves desperate, but our hope isn't in Christ alone, we start reaching for a lot of things while missing the main thing. Because we start to panic, right? Like we start to feel all these losses and then we're like, oh, 2021, I got to get this back. I, I got to, we, we got to get this. And we just start reaching for everything while missing the main thing. And what we're, we're longing for is real. We're longing for security. We're longing for comfort. We're longing for hope. And none, none, none of us, you know, wake up all in, in the morning, especially as a father of Jesus, and like, Lord, I'm not going to pursue you. I'm going to reach for everything but you. Like, we, we, we don't do that intentionally. But we start to get driven by other things because our hope and our confidence is it's not exclusive. And all these other things that I talk about that we, that we reach for, like going to the gym and doing all, all that stuff is great. Man, keep, we should pursue those things. But our hope should never lie. And I think 2020 has showed us everything can be taken away yeah. in a moment's time. And at the end of all of that, is Christ still enough? Yeah. Like, like there's something about reaching for something, um, but it's very frustrating when you're reaching and, and you miss it. Like you just can't grab it. Maybe try that. You're just like, or you're trying to push a button or you're trying to get behind the TV. You're like, let me just, uh, it's frustrating, exhausting, right? This last week, we were coming uh, back from Tahoe and I just went to take, I was reaching to take the keys out of the ignition, but I was moving fast and my thumb got caught on the steering wheel. You guys know I have a fractured wrist still. So I, I, I went to reach for my keys and oh, Totally missed the keys, caught my thumb on the thing, almost cried, grown man crying in the car. My kids are like, are you okay? I'm like, I don't know, I think I broke my wrist again. Like, tough. It's just what, the worst thing when you can't get what you're reaching for. I, I, I then come home and uh, proceed to get into the shower, and I reach for the loofah. Can I just say it's a gray loofah? I have a gray loofah, I have a black loofah, very manly. I reach for the loofah. <laughs> And all of a sudden, something happens in my back, and it's like, oh, it drops me to my knees. I'm like, and then I stop for a minute. I'm like, it's on the right side. I'm not having a heart attack. I think like my back just went out, right? I'm like, Jack, something's wrong. Gonna be all right. She's like, do you want me to draw a bath for you? I'm like, no. It's getting up in the shower. I'm a grown man for crying. Are you serious? And so, so. So, so we can reach for everything while, while, while missing the main thing, but sometimes it's even more frustrating when we reach it, we get it, and we find out it's not it. Like that, that's, that's even more so. This woman, man, she reached. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and she spent all she had. Some of you this morning, some of you tuning in online, you, you're spent. You just feel like, man, I've given it all. Like, I'm exhausted. I've given it all I've had. I've invested all that I got. Like, this is it. And it says, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And it just kind of reminds me, you know, we, we, we're reaching for these different things when we're bleeding, when there's a deficit, when our hope is in different things. I think about the woman at the well where she, she, there, there was a deficit of, of love and a value in her life, so much so that she just said, I just need to, it's got to be a relationship, so I'm just going to keep reaching for relationship after relationship. And Jesus is like, girl, you've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with right now is not your husband. Something broken in the system. He's like, you're drinking from the wrong well. 
Like you, you put your hope in, in these different things, but you're drinking from the wrong well. There's an exclusive well that if you drink from, you'll never thirst again. And that encounter with Jesus changed the game for her. Like she came in the middle of the day because she was ashamed to see people. But after encountering Jesus, she walks away no longer bleeding shame, but she walks away exuding a confidence and a hope as she goes back to her village and says, I found him. The Messiah, I think he's the Messiah. I think about Matthew, the tax collector. I think about Zacchaeus, you know, one of these, these chief tax collectors. Man, they were so reaching for money, power, and influence. So much so that they betrayed their own people, partnered with the Roman government, and exploited people. And think about Zacchaeus when Jesus found him. I think it was what his life was like on a regular basis. He was in a tree by himself, alone. He had it, but it wasn't it. Jesus has one, just one little moment with him inside of his house. Maybe it was a meal. I don't know what they did. He just went to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus came out of that one conversation and changed man. He said, Lord, I'm not going to cheat people anymore. I'm giving half of everything to the poor. Like, I get it now. I had everything, but I was missing the main thing. I, I, I look at Peter. Peter, after Jesus was captured, he is, he's afraid. He's looking for security. He's looking for hope. And, and, and they start to identify Peter with Jesus, and he doesn't want anything to happen to his life. And so what does he do? They said, hey, you were with Jesus. And Peter's like, no, I wasn't. And he denies Christ, feels bleeding failure. And he goes and he reaches for his past and says, man, guys, I, I don't know what to do now. I'm going fishing. I don't have a purpose anymore. I'm not a mission anymore. I'm just bleeding failure. And Jesus meets him and restores him. And all of a sudden, it's like, yes. And then later, Peter would give his life for the Savior. Are, are, you, guys try, are you guys catching this with me? It, it's this whole thing like we reach, we reach, we reach, we reach. But when Jesus becomes the main thing, you can stop reaching and you can start living. So I don't want 2021 just to be a year of reaching for all these things. It's one thing that I want to point us to that we build the foundation on this one thing. Because I'll tell you, the rich young ruler is a great example of, I think, uh, if we're not careful, we can fall into this trap where he has everything too. He has the, the youth, he has the money, he has the power, he has authority, everything that you'd want in this ancient culture. He has and embodies it. But he feels there's one thing that he can't control, and that's eternity. So he comes to Jesus and he's like, hey, uh, how do I get this eternal life? Jesus is like, man, keep the commandments. He's like, oh, I got that. I got check, check, check. I got the commandments down. He's like, yeah. But Jesus said, yeah, but there's one thing. Sell all you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. What? Like, I didn't know, like, I wanted you to be one of my hopes. I didn't know this was an exclusive hope. And look what it says about this man. It says that he, when he heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. I wonder today how many of us are walking around sad because Jesus is calling and still the posture of our heart is, I just want to keep reaching, Lord. I, I want you to be one of my hopes. I just don't want you to be my only hope. It doesn't seem reasonable. It doesn't seem reasonable to put my faith and my hope in God and in Christ alone. It just doesn't seem reasonable. And the rich man's probably thinking that like, I'm getting the bad end of the deal here, man. I have a lot of wealth, and you want me to sell everything and live like you? Like, like imagine he's talking to God, to God in the flesh. 
Like, think about what's reasonable about turning God down. He just said, no, Lord, I'm totally sad. If this was the right decision, why do I feel so bad about it? But it's okay. Appreciate the offer, but I'm going to keep reaching. And he kept reaching. But in that moment, once again, he's not living. You know, I, I think people have a hard time putting all their hope in Christ or having an exclusive faith because it just doesn't seem reasonable. It doesn't seem reasonable to put my trust and my hope in God. Like if I were to put, if I were to put a professor from Britain who has a PhD in science here, and I was going to put, you know, uh, Billy Bob over here who lives in the swamp, has faith, but thinks Oprah is the Antichrist. And I told you, hey, um, you got to pick between one of these people. Who are you going to listen to? Well, I kind of like the PhD guy with the accent, right? Seems more smarter, a little bit more safe, right? But th- that, that's such a false dichotomy to butt up faith and re- to, to put faith and reason against each other. Can I tell you this, that Jesus asking the rich young ruler this question, yeah, it seemed unreasonable. And can I tell you, Jesus will call you to things that are unreasonable, but can I tell you, you putting your faith in him is not unreasonable. In fact, it's very reasonable. As people delve into Christianity, there's so many people that have come to Christianity. You want to know what the reason is? The reason is reason that they put their faith in God because creation screams of it. And the more that these scientists and philosophers would dive into this, I'm just telling you that the game has changed in a big way. Don't think that evolution is the predominant theory in, or, or the accepted theory in the science world. Oh, it's not the most popular anymore. Like, like theism and the, the reality that there is a creator is, is so much more. And Paul talks about this, or it's so clear that th- there's evidence of a creator. And Paul talks about this in Romans 1. He says, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse See, it was like God built his own evidence into creation and said, it's so obvious, go search it out, go do your scientific experiments, go dissect all the stuff, and you will see that it will point you. The deeper that you get, the deeper that you go, it will point you to a creator. It's going to be so reasonable to trust in me and very unreasonable not to. You see, science has never been against faith, but rather science has grown out of a faith matrix, specifically Christianity. I mean, as we look, as, as we dive into different aspects of science, as, as we encounter different people, I get this all the time, like, oh, you just trust in the Bible, you're weird. It's like, no, actually, if you do the work, you'll find that it's not just spiritual, it's psychological, it's historical, like, like it, it's, it's, it's very valid. And so what, what Paul is saying is saying, hey, run the ramp of reason before you take the leap of faith. And you're going to see that God, creation, screams that he exists. I mean, let's look at the university. The university is a 12th century Christian invention. Uh, What do you want to go, Harvard, Brown, Princeton? A lot of these Ivy Leagues were created to equip missionaries so we'd have the most brilliant minds going into the mission field to reach people with the gospel. See, oh, science and and God, they just don't mix. No, science affirms 
that there is a creator God. I love what Mark Clark says. He says, our modern scientific realities, methods, deductions, and conclusions grow out of a Christian matrix, a theistic view, meaning that, that we believe that there is a God out there, a theistic view of the world, meaning that if you put something through a scientific method, it's observable, creation is unified, it's repeatable, it has design and order so that you can repeat different hypotheses, observations, and verifications. See, Christianity invites the skeptic. Say, do the work. Look at some like animism where, where the gods are in the trees and in the water, so don't do experiments on the trees because you'll hurt the gods. And when a storm comes, why do we have storms? Because Poseidon must be really mad right now. And Christianity comes along and says, no, like, it's actually very reasonable. God created and designed this thing in such a way there's temperature, there's precipitation, there's an atmosphere. <laughs> like, it's very reasonable. In fact, science has come so far, we're far beyond observable Darwin type of a science where we're just looking at bones and looking at things through microscopes. Like we're looking at cells, DNA strands, dark matter. That is so complex that these scientists are stepping back saying, there's no way that this just, there's just no way. I mean, DNA strands have a language embedded into each element of them that screams for a mind. So what's very unreasonable is this rich young ruler looking at God in the face and telling him no. That's unreasonable because God knows not just what he thinks he needs. God knows what he really needs. But I think the reason why we struggle with this sometimes is because even if we get on the other side of, okay, okay, it's reasonable, but then we're still like, I'm just not sure because to have exclusive faith and to have genuine faith, we have to understand that, it, that it's also costly. It's also costly, like to, to touch Christ and to follow him, to experience breakthrough that we all want to see, to experience revival in the land. Can I just tell you that, that we, we love the results of faith, but we don't like the cost of it. Like faith in Christ doesn't exempt us from pain and hardship. Can I just get an amen on that, please? Faith in Christ doesn't exempt us from hardship. Sometimes it, it induces it. And be like, man, I knew I shouldn't have came to church today. Set my little goals. Move on with my life. That's not really living if he's not exclusive. And, and so, so I want you to get this picture. Now, it may seem like, man, why would I want to follow Jesus? The Bible makes it very clear that those who put their faith in him will never be put to shame. Never be put to shame. It's, it's costly. This woman, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Do you know how risky this was for this woman? To press through a crowd of men as a filthy, unclean woman? Religious men? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about her on the sidelines like, oh man, this could go really bad. And then I'm going to try to touch the rabbi? Oh no. Like, you think she was losing then? Oh. You think she was outcasted then? super costly. What motivates somebody like that to pursue? What motivates the disciples to give their life for the name of Jesus? And it's very simple. It's what she heard overwhelmed 
the cost that, it, it, that she would have to pay. It's like what I'm hearing and the cost, what I'm hearing and the cost, what I'm hearing is so much better than the cost. Like I'm all in, I'm, I'm jumping in. The disciples, when they were told to stop preaching in Jesus' name, all the disciples gave their life as martyrs for the name of Jesus, except John. Tradition says they tried to boil him in water, and when that didn't work, they exiled him to the island of Patmos, where God gave him the download of Revelation, and that's where we get the book of Revelation. But what would make these guys do this? And, and it's very clear in Acts chapter 4, they said, why do you want us to stop preaching in Jesus' name? Like, we simply are testifying of all that we've heard and all that we've seen, which is so much greater than the cost that you're proposing. They're like, what, are you going gonna to kill us? Here we are. You're going to put us in prison? Let's go. Doesn't mean they weren't scared and didn't have moments of, of fear and like, oh, no, this is going to go really bad. Oh, I'm sure. But God's grace shows up in those moments. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And so as the woman at the well is going back and she's going back to her village, she's like, what I've heard is so much more than the pain I've experienced. So I'm going back with confident hope, proclaiming that the Messiah is here. Matthew and Zacchaeus, Matthew, Zacchaeus comes out like, it's going to cost me like all my wealth. I'm going to give half it away. I'm going to, everybody that I've wronged, I'm going to make it right. He's like, what I've heard is so much greater than the cost. And so we just see this play out as followers of Jesus that the reality is that our victory is not in our results. That our victory is in our faith in Christ alone no matter the results. This is, this is important. For every child of God defeats this evil world. How? By getting great results? No. Achieves this victory through our faith. An exclusive faith in Christ alone. It can be costly. Can I just tell you that we're contending this year for God to do miracles. We're believing for revival. Can I just tell you we love California? We, we love the Bay Area. We love our city. We love the Tri-Valley. Like, like we're, we're, we're in this. We really believe that God wants to do something in one of what statistics say, one of the darkest regions in America. We're like, we're, we're, we're planting roots. And we're excited for what God is going to do. So we're believing God for great things. Miracles and bodies, healings, all that stuff. We, we believe that stuff still. We're believing for salvations by the thousands. It sounds crazy, but we believe that. But we're also believing in a great miracle of suffering well. That in the midst of suffering, we're still exuding fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. When the world looks at us, they're like, everything is unstable, and you're on solid ground. You're on level ground. And we say, it's, it's very simple. We're just wide open. God, teach me. God, 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 deliver me. God, show me. Lead my feet on solid ground. I'm wide open. I'm wide open. You see, when God says that he can do, when the scriptures, Paul declared, or when we look in the scriptures where it says that, I believe it's in Ephesians, that God can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ever ask, think, or imagine, so many times we just think about our results of everything working out for us. But I believe that God can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask, think, or imagine when things aren't working for us. When we're suffering for the name of Jesus. Like, I, I, you, gotta, you gotta hear me on this. 
Because there's a difference. I, we were listening to this gentleman. He's a, a professor and a journalist. And he says, you want to know the difference between optimism and Christian hope? He said, optimism is just kind of like, don't look at reality. It's just going to work out. It's all just going to pan out. Just relax. Enjoy the ride. It's going to be great. But Christian hope says, yeah, man, we believe God is going to move. We are believing that it is going to work out. We're believing that, man, it's going to work for our good. But even if it doesn't, we will not bow our knee. We will not turn our back on Christ. It reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when King Nebuchadnezzar was saying, hey, come bow down to the culture. Come bow your knee to the idol of the day. And they said, sorry, King, we can't do that. We just can't do it. They said, listen, our God is going to deliver us from your hand, but even if he doesn't, we need to get a shirt that says, even if he doesn't. I believe that God can. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like We're contending and believing for great things, but sometimes great things are on the other side of suffering. And this is where I think we struggle sometimes because we don't want to suffer. We don't like to suffer. I don't like to suffer. I mean, they messed up my hotel room on our trip, and I get all mad. It's like first world problems, dude, relax. It's gonna be okay. But as we look, real faith, it invites both. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms. How many of you guys want that this year? Amen. Uh, conquered kingdoms, administered justice. How many of you guys want that? Yes and amen. Gained what was promised. Yes and amen. Who shut the mouth of lions. Can I get an amen? Yeah. All right. Some of you guys want to see great things. Um, quenched the fiery or the, the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword. Let's go. Whose weakness was turned to strength. Come on. And who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead. Raised to life again. Miracles were contending for all of this. But we can't forget about this as well. There were others. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Can I get an amen? Some face jeers. Can I tell you, if you follow Jesus in 2021 wide open, they're going to jeer at you. They're going to mock you. You're going to be criticized. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to seem like you're crazy. Can I get an amen? amen? Flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. Sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Does that sound like an exciting day? The world was not worthy of them. They lived and wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Didn't seem like things were working out too well. But listen to this. But these were all, all in the whole chapter. Those that shut the mouth of lions and those that were sawed in two. They were all commended for their faith. All commended. Guys, we, we have to learn how to suffer well in, in the days ahead. I'm just telling you as your pastor, man, I, I could, I, there's, a lot, there's so many things we could talk about. But there's a lot of unknowns that we, we just don't know right now. But I know this for certain. What lies ahead will require genuine faith. And it's going to cost us something. But what we've heard and who we know is far greater than the cost. See, sometimes when we look at the scripture, we're like, oh, yeah, that was kind of like, 
that's back then, but we don't want to really like talk about that now. It's like, we're still good. I'm going to get like lunch after this. And I just don't know if I want to think about this part of the message. But maybe I have to think about it a little bit. I'll tell you who's thinking about it. Is this mama's thinking about it? This Nigerian mama. Her daughter is a teenager. Her name is Leah. 2018, I, uh, ISIS began to, well, even before that, ISIS began to really move their regime and their encampment into Nigeria. And uh, two years ago in 2018, Leah was taken by ISIS in Boko Haram. She's been in prison for two years as a young girl. See, sometimes we just, let, let, me, let me tell you her name. Her name is Leah. Anybody know Aaliyah? Like, like, let me bring it, like, sometimes we, we feel like we're, we're so far removed from what's happening globally that sometimes it hinders our understanding of what Christ is doing in the earth. And this mom thinks about her baby girl every day. And, you know, ISIS is brutal. They've proven it. Women, they've proven it. God knows what's happening to this little girl. But you know what they said is, as they said that they refuse to release her. You want to know why? Because she refuses to renounce Jesus. Because of what she's heard and who she knows, she said, I'll keep paying the price all the way to the end. Whatever it looks like. If it works out for my freedom, glory to God. If I die, like Paul said, I go to be with him. Her faith is exclusive. Like all she really has to do, I mean, she could just fake the funk and just be like, all right, you know, Islam. She's like, there's no way. I've seen too much. I've heard too much. The cost. So no, if we're ready for this. It goes on to say in the passage, this is when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought if I could just touch him, his clothes I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Can I just tell you that Leah may be in prison, but she's probably more free than most of us. Freedom always isn't on the other side of suffering. It's also in Christ. It's found in the midst of it. Stephen, one of my favorite pictures, just being stoned to death, and God opens up his eyes to see Jesus. And he's just like, I see you, God, as he's being plummeted to his death. I can't be your pastor, and, and I, I can't tell you the truth. I can't be your pastor that doesn't tell you the truth. I don't want to pastor a church that just goes through the motions of our culture and the things that we do. It's like, nah, I don't know what the future holds. I want to make sure, like Leah, we're ready to say, oh, yeah, I've seen, I've heard. I'm in this. And I don't want you to try to think, like, would, would I do that? Would I... Would I suffer from my faith like that? Would I actually, don't, don't even try that right now because it's not your reality and you don't need the grace for it. So you'll just torture yourself. Yeah. Don't try to like muster it up and see if you would do it. Just know that in that moment that God will give you the grace that you need. But it's just a time of preparation. I don't, I don't know, you know, what's going to happen. I think in, in our culture, we're more likely to get jeered than, than put into, uh, tortured in a, in a prison. But are we even prepared to face the, the jeers? Oh, I don't want to, like, ruffle feathers. Oh, I don't want to talk too much about Jesus. Don't want to seem extreme. Don't want to. 
I just don't know. Pastor Chris said something last week. He said, guys, we've got to fight for first. It was so good. We've got to fight for first. We've got to fight for what's first. But how we fight for first, ladies and gentlemen, this year is we have to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you. I'm not saying, like, run for the hills. I'm saying just make the main thing the main thing this year. Let your goals, let your life, let your home, let let your pursuit be built on an exclusive hope in Christ and in Christ alone. Let Let it be that. Then all these other things, a lot of things you probably won't even care about much anymore. But all these other things, Jesus said, I know what you need. Like the rich young ruler, if he would have gave up everything, you think it would have been a disappointment? Like, oh man, do you hear guys? I gave up all my wealth and I walked with God. Sometimes we're just not thinking reasonably when God is calling us to a greater place. So let's open up. Open up. Let me pray for you, Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your faithfulness to us, even when we're not faithful. God, I thank you for the hope that we have in you. But I pray that we'd be a church that exemplifies the fullness of the gospel. Lord, that you would do some incredible miracles. I just heard of people today that are sick, that are in the hospital. God, we believe and we just declare healing over them. Lord, over the dad that I know about today, over the the woman in ICU, Lord, you know their names. And we believe that you can heal even in this moment. You're still a God that as this woman reached out and touched you, you healed her body. But Lord, then I know that there are some of us, God, that we're going to have to endure some things. And I pray you do a miracle in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our fight. That, Lord, you'd still be exclusive no matter what. That we would know and cherish your presence above all things this year. That, like David, we'd be wide open to say, Lord, would you teach me? Lord, would you deliver me? Deal with my pain. Get all this junk out of me. Lord, will you lead me? Let us be wide open to you, Jesus. Maybe you're here and... You're in person or you're online, you're like, man, I just need to go all in this year. I just need to surrender today. And you just, you sense it in your heart right now. You're like, oh, it's kind of like Chena singing that song earlier. It's like my heart is beating out of my chest. Maybe you just need to surrender today. If that's you, would you slip up your hand and say, I just, I'm going all in this year. Lord, whatever you want from me, I'm wide open. I see your hand. Yep. I see your hand. Thank you, sir. Yep, I see yours. Online, click the link. Let us know. I want to pray with you. If you lifted up your hand, just say, Lord, I'm all in. Thank you for dying on the cross, raising from the dead. Forgive me for all my sin. I want your way. I want to walk with you. I surrender all that I am. You're not just going to be one of my hopes. You're my only hope, my Lord, my Savior. I surrender today, God. Give me courage and boldness. Perform miraculous signs and wonders. And give me boldness in the midst of everything. I surrender. In Jesus' name. And everybody said?
Amen. Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.